Hey everyone and welcome to my A to Z of musicals and I can't believe that we're at the halfway point on our journey through the alphabet. This week we're listening to all things beginning with the letter N and I want to give a shout out of thanks really to my friend Louise who's given me some ideas and tips on who and what to include in this episode. So let's get straight into it with letter N. One of my proudest achievements in recent years was reading the entire Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace. And it's absolutely incredible. It did take me the best part of a year to read it, but I have to say not because I wasn't enjoying it. It's heavy going and there are some long, long chapters and descriptions of battles and uh, war. But the story is phenomenal. And so my next musical, of course, is Natasha, Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. And this is based on just a small, relatively small segment of War and Peace, actually, part eight of the book, 70 pages of the story of these incredible characters. And this was a musical written by Dave Malloy. Dave Malloy wrote the music, the lyrics, the libretto, he did the orchestrations, and in fact, in the original 2012 off-Broadway production, which was running at Ars Nova, he played Pierre Bezukhov, the, the lead character as well. What a phenomenally talented man Dave Malloy is. Wow. He's also brought us, since The Great Comet was released, Ghost Quartet in 2014, Preludes in 2015, which is set in the mind of the composer Sergei Rachmaninoff. And in 2019, a musical adaptation of Herman Melville's Moby Dick. Not the first musical version of that show, actually. Um, the show had a fantastic cast in that original production, along with Dave Malloy playing the lead role of Pierre. We had Philippa Sue, straight out of college after graduating. She played uh, Natasha. And of course, we know that she went on to have massive success in Hamilton, in the original company on Broadway, playing the role of Eliza Schuyler. And she was nominated for a Best Actress in a Musical for that role. In fact, she had been seen by Thomas Cale and Mitlin manuel Miranda in, in the production of The Great Comet, also was Lucas Steele as Anatole and Amber Gray as Helen. And in fact, Amber Gray went on to originate the role of Persephone in the 2016 workshop of Hadestown, both off and on Broadway. And Amber Gray was nominated for a Tony for her role in Hadestown, a show that I would love to see. Um, Great Comet had several tweaks and different versions, um, three off-Broadway productions, an American repertory theatre production, 
before it opened on Broadway on the 14th of November 2016. This time with Josh Groban making his Broadway debut playing the role of Pierre and Danae Benton also making her Broadway debut as Natasha. Now Josh Groban of course had been around for quite some time by this point and he received critical acclaim for his portrayal of Pierre. I remember the very first time I saw this man sing was in a 1990s episode of Ali McBeal, the TV series that I was obsessed by. Um, and that's where he kind of came to public uh, notice, really. And uh, he gave a brilliant performance. He was nominated for a Tony for Best Actor in a Musical, but didn't win. The show actually was nominated for 12 Tony Awards that year uh, and only won two of them uh, for Best Scenic Design and Best Lighting Design. Now, I haven't seen the show on stage, but I believe that these were really well-deserved wins. But what a shame that uh, from 12 uh, nominations, only two actual awards were, were given. Now, anyone who has been listening to my podcast from the start will have realised that I am obsessed by the huge talent of Marnie Nixon. Time magazine described her as the ghostess with the mostest. She has provided the singing voice in movie musicals for some of the most amazing soundtracks and wasn't even credited for them. Um, her job title would be ghost singer or vocal dubber. And uh, she has also, though, had her own uh, career on stage. In 1947, she had her first title role in a musical, the lead role of a show called Oh Susanna. But it was in 1948 when she first dubbed anybody and this was for child star Margaret O'Brien in a film called Big City and the following year in 1949 she dubbed again for Margaret O'Brien in The Secret Garden. This time uh, the character of Margaret O'Brien was singing a Hindu lullaby and so Marnie Nixon had to learn the Hindu lullaby and Margaret O'Brien would lip sync to this performance. In 1955, Marnie Nixon received a call that would change her life, really. It was from vocal director at 20th Century Fox, Ken Darby, and he rang to inquire whether um, Marnie Nixon would audition to dub Deborah Carr in the upcoming film, The King and I. In fact, a lady called Jean Bradley had been signed to do this, um, but um, unfortunately wasn't able to. The King and I has been referred to as one of the most seamless examples of dubbing in the history of musicals. And I can completely agree with this. If you watch it, it really is uh, a fantastic job. And... What's fascinating about it is that Deborah Carr and Marnie Nixon 
got along well during the making of this film and actually supported each other and sat and sang and recorded the songs together. The difficulty was that Marnie Nixon was told quite categorically uh, that she must never tell anybody that she was involved in the recording and dubbing of Deborah Carr. In fact, she was, I suppose you'd say, threatened by a studio executive that if she ever told anyone, she'd never work in the business again. And uh, in fact, it was Deborah Carr who innocently did tell the press that it wasn't her singing, um, not Marnie Nixon. But amazing that she had actually written into her contract, Marnie Nixon had a, what was called a no credit clause, which meant that her name didn't appear on the film credits, either at the beginning or end of the film. And no, neither did it appear on the soundtrack recording of The King and I. So for many, many years, there were no royalties for um, Marnie Nixon or any of the other uh, wonderful ghost singers and dubbers at the time. In fact, there were so many. Let me just mention a few of those great people. Um, we had Carol Richards, India Adams, Vicky Carr. They all voiced for Sid Charisse throughout her films. Um, Marjorie Lane, who actually was a Broadway performer. She dubbed for Eleanor Powell, uh, Anita Ellis, Joanne Greer, Mercedes Rufino. They all dubbed for Rita Hayworth. Uh, even Dorothy Dandridge, who could sing uh, when she was in the film Carmen Jones, was dubbed by Marilyn Horn. Uh, Jean Seberg, the actress in Paint Your Wagon, was dubbed by Anita Gordon. Ava Gardner was dubbed in Showboat by Annette Warren. And famously, a letter N dubber, along with Marnie Nixon, is Betty Noyes. And Betty sang in the 1941 Disney film that beautiful song in the heartbreaking scene when Dumbo and his mum uh, are not able to be together. She's locked in a cage and the song is called Baby Mine. And it was written by Ned Washington and Frank Churchill. And in actual fact, it was nominated for an Academy Award. And it's sung by Betty Noyes, who was a famous, famous amongst the ghost singers at the time. She also dubbed Debbie Reynolds in the film of Singing in the Rain. So Singing in the Rain is a classic story of uh, an actress who was a silent movie actress and her voice is not fitting the change to talkies. And so Betty Noyes dubs Debbie Reynolds, who's playing the part of Kathy Selden, dubbing Jean Hagen, who's playing the part of Lena Lamont in this 1952 film, Singing in the Rain. I know that's complicated, but Betty Noyes dubbing Debbie Reynolds. When Debbie Reynolds went on to sing in pretty much all of the films that she performed in afterwards. So crazy times really uh, during the, particularly in the 1950s, a lot of dubbing was happening. In 1957, Marnie Nixon actually dubbed Deborah Carr again 
in the romantic film An Affair to Remember. Deborah Carr plays a nightclub singer called Terry McKay and she has four songs in this film and she was very happy to have Marnie Nixon record for her. This time she actually just allowed Marnie to record and she then lip-synced to the recordings because she'd been so happy with the work that they'd done in The King and I. This was not the case for the relationship between Marnie Nixon and Natalie Wood on the film set of the 1961 film adaptation of West Side Story. Marnie Nixon dubbed for Natalie Wood, who had been cast as Maria, but that had never been made clear to Natalie Wood. She believed that she would sing her own songs and was determined to do so and was so upset ultimately at the final uh, editing and cutting of the film that it was not her voice that was used. And in fact, she does sing in the musical film of Gypsy and another musical called Inside Daisy Clover. She sings some of the songs there. Um, so on set, the relationship was tense between Natalie Wood and uh, Marnie Nixon because Natalie was constantly um, watching and wondering why Marnie was even there and fearing that perhaps they were going to not use her voice. Um, in fact, in the end, the only leading actor in the film adaptation of West Side Story who did all of their own on-screen singing was George Shakiris, who plays the part of Bernardo. All of the other lead actors were dubbed either totally or in part. Uh, Russ Tamlin, who we know is a great performer and singer and has uh, been in other musicals such as Tom Thumb and Seven Bride for Seven Brothers, he was dubbed by Tucker Smith, who was one of the fellow members of the Jets. Richard Beamer, who played Tony, he was dubbed by Jim Bryant. Even Rita Marino, who played Anita, um, she was dubbed by a ghost singer called Betty Wand, who had worked with so many other actors and actresses over the years. She had dubbed for Esther Williams, Shirley Temple, Kay Kendall, and in Gigi, she did the singing for Leslie Caron, Betty Wand. Um, there's a funny um, story that actually on the recording for the song, the quintet in West Side Story, um, Marnie Nixon actually recorded for Rita Marino and for um, Natalie Wood. So in fact, she was duetting with herself and Marnie Nixon's voice, her spoken voice is used right in the final scene of the film when Maria says, don't you touch him and Teodoro Anton. That's actually Marnie Nixon's spoken voice as well. Marnie Nixon then famously uh, dubbed for Audrey Hepburn in the film adaptation of My Fair Lady. And of course we know that uh, Audrey and Julie Andrews, there was the, uh, a challenge there because the role didn't go to Julie who performed this 
on Broadway. And I talk about this in more detail, actually, when I talk about Learner and Low in the letter L episode of the podcast. So if you're interested, why not go back and have a listen to that? And my next musical, beginning with the letter N, is No No Nanette. The farcical and frivolous and silly, really, but quintessential 1920s musical No No Nanette uh, started life in 1924 in a pre-Broadway tour, really, which went to Chicago. It was so successful that it ran for over a year and made it into New York to Broadway the following year in 1925 and opened also in the West End in 1925. The New York uh, production ran for 321 performances on Broadway with Louise Grudy as Nanette, the strong-willed flapper, and Charles Winnegar plays the role of the Bible salesman Jimmy Smith. And the story really is around Jimmy Smith and his matronly wife, Sue, and how Jimmy Smith helps out three needy women and kind of leads to all kinds of complications and entanglements, shall we say. Uh, it is silly and it is frivolous but fun and was really popular. The show was based on a book by Frank Mandel from 1919, a play actually called My Lady Friends. And Frank Mandel wrote the book for the musical along with Otto Harbach. And of course, Otto Harbach, we, we're familiar with because he wrote over 40 musicals with a massive range actually of collaborators. He was the lyricist and worked with people like Oscar Hammerstein, Jerome Kern, George Gershwin, Sigmund Romberg on shows such as Rosemarie, Roberta, The Desert Song. And uh, he was really, really successful. And he worked on No No Nanette with the composer Vincent Humans, who'd had his first hit with a show called Wildflower in 1923. And of course, he went on to have success with Hit the Deck in 1927 and the original scores for films such as Flying Down to Rio, the 1934 Fred and Ginger classic. Uh, interestingly enough, the show, when it went to Broadway, two new songs were added by um, Vincent Humans and lyricist Irving Caesar. The songs were... I Want To Be Happy and Tea For Two. And of course, those two became ultimately the most famous and most popular songs in the whole show. There have actually been uh, quite a few film adaptations of No No Nanette with a 1930 production by First National Films and a 1940 RKO film actually that starred Anna Neagle and Victor Mature and Roland Young, which was quite a disappointing film. There is a film soundtrack of the 1940 version with uh, a DVD actually as well. But in 1950, there was uh, a film called T42, 
obviously based on one of the famous songs from the show. And uh, this was, I suppose you'd say, inspired by No No Nanette rather than being uh, the same. It was, the plot was changed quite considerably. But it famously had, of course, Doris Day as the perky and vivacious Nanette. And I suppose perky and vivacious are perfect words to describe Doris Day, who I do talk about in detail in my Letter D podcast, if you're interested. Uh, T for Two was the first film in which Doris Day danced on screen. She was joined by Gordon McRae and Jean Nelson and the wonderfully funny Eve Arden. So... In 1951, NBC Television did a, a broadcast of No No Nanette with Jackie Gleason as Jimmy and Anne Crowley as Nanette. But I suppose the most successful version of this show was the 1971 revival. And this was the surprise hit of the season, really. There is a recording uh, of this show. It ran for 861 performances on Broadway. This 1971 revival had a wonderful cast. Susan Watson as Nanette, and she's been described as, quote, perhaps the brightest Broadway musical ingenue of the 1960s, unquote. And she made her debut in the off-Broadway hit, the Fantastics. She went on to star on Broadway in Bye Bye Birdie, Carousel, Oklahoma and Where's Charlie? Uh, she was joined in the 1971 revival by Jack Guilford and uh, he was most famous for playing characters and comedic roles including King Septimus in the 1959 Broadway hit Once Upon a Mattress and he was in the original cast of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. As well in the 1971 cast was the legendary Ruby Keeler playing the role of Sue Smith. And Ruby Keeler came out of retirement temporarily after 41 years to play this part. Of course, she's famous for stage and film performances her first leading role back in 1929 in the film Showgirl. Ruby Keeler married Al Jolson in real life and she found fame as Peggy Sawyer in the classic 1933 film of 42nd Street. And that's not the end of the uh, talent in the 1971 revival. The uh, amazing... Helen Gallagher. She has won three Emmys, two Tonys and a Drama Desk Award and started life in the Broadway Chorus in 1947 in Brigadoon and has featured in High Button Shoes in also in 1947, Hazel Flag. She played in revivals uh, including Pal Joey for which she won a Tony Award, Guys and Dolls, Finian's Rainbow and famously, I suppose, her best-known role would be as Nicky in the 1966 Broadway hit of Sweet Charity. 
uh, alongside Gwen Verdon. And when Gwen Verdon left the part, um, Helen Gallagher took over the role of Charity Hope Valentine. And uh, she also, Helen Gallagher, won a Tony for her performance in this 1971 revival of No No Nanette. She danced with Bobby Van, who's had a great Broadway and film career as well. Of course, he was in the 1953 film of Kiss Me Kate. He was nominated for a Tony as well for this performance in No No Nanette. And if you go on YouTube, you can see uh, Helen Gallagher and Bobby Van uh, performing You Can Dance With Any Girl from this show. Finally, from the 71, cast was Patsy Kelly. And she is famous for uh, her huge film and TV career, but also won a Tony for No No Nanette for Best Featured Actress in a Musical. And the following year, she starred in Irene on Broadway with Debbie Reynolds and was again nominated for a Tony. And I talk about Irene in the Letter I episode of my podcast. Now, a musical that I've only really got to know in the last year or so is the beautiful Charles Strauss musical, Nightingale. And Charles Strauss is the famous American composer and lyricist that brought us shows such as Bye Bye Birdie, Applause, and of course, in 1977, Annie. The show, the musical, is based on an 1843 fairy tale, if you like, by Hans Christian Andersen. And it tells of a powerful Chinese emperor who is so overprotected in his kingdom that he's unable to get close to anybody until he hears the gorgeous singing of a nightingale. And when the show opened, its first performance was in 1982 at the Buxton Festival in England. And it was Sarah Brightman who performed as the Nightingale. And so when the Emperor heard the Nightingale sing, he sent his maid out to capture her, uh, which is what happened. And ultimately, the Emperor and the Nightingale become great friends and... The Nightingale singing is popular to, to everybody in the court. Unfortunately, of course, as happens in many of Hans Christian Andersen's stories, is that things change and the Nightingale is sad and misses her freedom and eventually manages to escape, leaving a mechanical bird in her place. Of course, all is happily resolved when the emperor and the maid and the nightingale learn to live happily together. It really is a gorgeous, beautiful story and the music is stunning. It's really lovely if you haven't heard it. Um, there was a West End production at the Lyric Hammersmith in 1982, including the original cast of Sarah Brightman, Susanna Fellows as the maid and Gordon Sanderson as the emperor. And also there was a fully staged production in the US in 1982 as well. 
The cast album of the original London cast was released in 1985 and then re-released and is still available um, in 1999. So check it out, Charles Strauss's Nightingale. Now I can remember the 1992 film of Newses being released. This was a Disney live action musical written by Bob Zudica and Nonny White and music by Alan Menkin and Jack Feldman directed by Kenny Ortega. This was his actual first film directorial debut and the film featured 12 original songs. It starred Christian Bale with Bill Pullman, Robert Duvall and Anne-Margaret, a great cast. And it was an absolute flop. It was a box office bomb. And uh, if you watch it, you can see why really. It's not a great film at all, but it does have some fantastic music in it. And uh, in the UK, the film was released as the the Newsboys. And in fact, if you go on Disney Plus now, it's actually still called The Newsboys in the UK. Um, in spite of this flop, it was picked up as uh, a Broadway musical. It was going to be the subject of a musical with music still by Alan Menken, lyrics Jack Feldman, and a new book written by Harvey Fierstein. And it did phenomenally well. It started out in New Jersey with a, a world premiere at the Paper Mill Playhouse back in September of 2011 and went to Broadway starting on the 15th of March 2012 and it actually won two out of its eight Tony nominations. Best Original Score by Alan Menken and Best Choreography by Christopher Gitelli. Now I did see the filmed version of this, they filmed a live performance of the production and the choreography is absolutely incredible. Blimey, they don't half work hard, the dancers in that show. The show starred Jeremy Jordan as Jack Kelly, Cara Lindsay as Catherine and Andrew Keenan Bolger as Crutchy. And uh, it ran for 1,004 performances eventually after being extended and extended because it was doing so well. News is the musical. My next letter N musical is nine with music and lyrics by the genius Maury Yeston. And I will talk about Maury Yeston in more detail when I get to the letter Y book by Arthur Coppett and orchestrations by the incredibly talented Jonathan Tunick. Nine started out as a class project really in 1973 and Maury Eston had always been intrigued, maybe even obsessed by Italian films of the 50s and 60s and uh, so this story is based on the 1963 surreal and semi-autobiographical film Eight and a Half, directed by Italian uh, film director Federico Fellini. 
The title of the film, Eight and a Half, actually came from the famous director's own film summary to date. He'd actually uh, directed eight films and one collaboration at this point in his career. So he counted that as half. And so Maury Eston titled the musical Nine because he felt that by adding music to Eight and a Half, it kind of gave it another half a point and made it nine. The story is around the um, film director Guido Contini, who is kind of confused and burnt out and he's supposed to be working on a new film and he hasn't got a clue what it's about and what he's doing. And so all the key women in his life, from his mother to his wife to his mistresses, appear to him within this story. Uh, the show opened on Broadway in 1982. It was directed and choreographed by the famous Tommy Tune. And it actually won five Tonys, including Best Musical, Best Original Score for Maury Eston, and Best Director for Tommy Tune. And it starred Raul Julia as Guido with Karen Akers and Lillian Montevecchi, who also won a Tony Award actually for her performance, uh, Best Featured Actress in a Musical. Now, I didn't really come across Nine until I discovered Elaine Page had recorded one of the songs called Unusual Way. And I have to say that this is my favourite song in the show. It's a beautiful song. And Elaine Page's recording is stunning. Um, in 1992, the show came to the West End, but only as a charity review, really, a sort of semi-staged concert version at the Royal Festival Hall. And it uh, included Jonathan Price in the lead role of Guido and uh, Kate Copstick, Anne Crum, Anita Dobson, Meg Johnson, Becky Norman uh, and Lillian Montevecchi again uh, reprising her role. But when they came to do the cast recording, Elaine Page actually recorded the role of Claudia. And this is where I heard her singing. And it's so beautiful, this song. Um, in 1996, there was a, a Donmar Warehouse production, which had Claire Burt amongst the cast. And then a famous 2003 Broadway revival, actually with film star Antonio Banderas as Guido. This was a brilliant cast with Jane Krakowski, who won um, a Tony Award this year for her uh, best performance of a featured actress in a musical. And Cheetah Rivera, Lauren, uh, Laura Benanti were also in this production and it won Best Revival Tony Award for the 2003 revival, running for 285 performances. And famously, there is a 2009 film directed by the amazing Rob Marshall, who had previously, of course, directed the Oscar-winning Chicago film. And it stars Daniel Day-Lewis as Guido. It was originally uh, talked about being Javier Bardem 
actually. And the cast here were incredible. Nicole Kidman as Claudia, Judy Dench, Sophia Loren, uh, Kate Hudson, uh, Marion Cotillard, Penelope Cruz, Fergie, absolutely brilliant cast. And uh, three new songs were written by Maury Yestin for the film, although quite a bit of the original Broadway score was cut. I want to talk briefly about the American musical Next to Normal. Now, this has never actually had a production in the UK, and it's a show that I'm really, really keen to see. Listening to the score, it's a, a deeply moving, intelligent and heartfelt story, really. It's the story of a family dealing with loss and grief and mental health, mental illness um, in the suburbs in America. And, of course, Alice Ripley famously played the mother, Diana Goodman, in the original Broadway cast of this show. And uh, her performance... Uh, led to her being uh, successful in the Tony Awards for Best Performance by a Leading Actress. And uh, the show kind of went through a lot of workshops. It started actually in 1998 as a 10-minute workshop sketch. And of course, through changes and then off-Broadway productions and a production in Virginia, it finally made it to Broadway on the 15th of April 2009 and ran for 734 performances with a subsequent US tour, which Alice Ripley actually led. Um, it would be great to have a production here in the UK and see this show. The music and lyrics are by Tom Kitt and Brian Yorkey. And of course, they're a brilliant team. We've had the 2013 show with Adina Menzel, If Then and the Disney Freaky Friday musical adaptation from 2016, which I love that show. Um, of course, Brian Yorkie also collaborated with Sting on the 2014 musical, The Last Ship. And Tom Kitt contributed to the SpongeBob SquarePants musical on Broadway as well. And they've been involved in so many great things. And the show on Broadway was originally directed by Michael Grief. This is a show that I am so keen to see next to normal. And now my next musical theatre star, beginning with the letter N, is the London-born singer, composer, director, um, pop singer, pretty much everything connected with musicals and musical theatre, the incredible... Anthony Newley and of course I know him most famously for his collaborations with lyricist Leslie Brickus but prior to that he did star in quite a number of films famously in 1948 he played the artful Dodger in the classic David Lean adaptation of Oliver Twist and he starred in a film called Idol on Parade where he played the part of a pop singer being um, called up for national service. And it had been inspired, really, by the true-life drafting of Elvis Presley into the armed services in America. 
It was 1961 when Anthony Newley and Leslie Brickus had their first big success with the musical Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. And this was a real hit for them both. It opened actually in Manchester and then transferred to the West End in 1961. And it ran for 485 performances. Anthony Newley starred in this show and directed it. And it transferred to Broadway in October of 1962. Anthony Newley uh, worked alongside the wonderful actress Anna Quayle and they both performed in the West End production and both transferred to Broadway. And in fact, Anna Quayle won Best Featured Actress in a Musical Tony in 1963 for her performance in Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. Interestingly, Marty Webb, the wonderful British um, musical theatre star, made her West End debut in this original production as well. Stop the World I Want to Get Off has been revived a number of times, famously in 1978 on Broadway, this time starring Sammy Davis Jr. And in fact, there is a filmed uh, version of this film in 1966, a film adaptation, with Millicent Martin starring in the Warner Brothers production. Unfortunately, Anthony Newley wasn't able to reprise his role because of other commitments. The next collaboration between Newley and Brickus was in the 1964 musical, The Roar of the Grease Paint, The Smell of the Crowd. And this opened in Nottingham with the British comedic actor Norman Wisdom in the lead role. And the show went on tour, but unfortunately was not a success here in the UK and uh, it never actually made it to the West End. It was though picked up by Broadway producer David Merrick, who always liked a show that wasn't going to cost too much to produce. And so, he took this over to the States with a US tour that was quite a lengthy one and then it opened on Broadway. Uh, the Broadway production was directed by Anthony Newley with choreography by Gillian Lynn. And the, the show does have some fantastic songs including the song The Joker which became the theme song for the Australian comedy programme Kath and Kim which is a favourite of mine. And also, as an aside, um, Elaine Page made her first professional appearance on stage in the uh, UK production of The Roar of the Grease Paint when she was in the chorus. Anthony Newley and Leslie Brickers worked together again in 1967 on the music for the 20th Century Fox film, Dr. Doolittle. And actually, Alan J. Lerner had originally been attached to compose for this film and to write the book, but he was actually fired from the project because he was causing so many delays. And Anthony Newley also starred in the film as Matthew Mugg, 
alongside Rex Harrison and Samantha Egger. Now, famously, Rex Harrison was hostile to Anthony Newley during the making of this film and was a very difficult person to work with. Um, the film also starred Richard Attenborough and Samantha Ego, who played the lead female, was actually dubbed by uh, a singer called Diana Lee. In spite of the fact that this film was a box office bomb, it was nominated for nine Academy Awards, which is staggering, really, um, winning two. One for Best Original Song, the song Talk to the Animals, and the second for Visual Effects. Just as an aside, um, there has been a stage production of Dr. Doolittle in 1998 in the West End, and it starred Philip Schofield, who had just ha previously had success in the Andrew Lloyd Webber revival of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and also starring, kind of starring, in this production was Julie Andrews, who voiced the parrot Polynesia. I actually saw the touring production of this, and I have to say that I don't personally find Dr. Doolittle to be a very successful musical. Um, and I have seen another touring production since with Mark Williams playing Dr. Doolittle, and it, uh, it was absolutely dreadful. Um, Anthony Newley didn't let the uh, fact that this film didn't do well really bother him. He went on to write and star in a British film musical from 1969, weirdly titled, Can Hieronymus Merkin Ever Forget Mercy Hump and Find True Happiness? Uh, Anthony Newley starred as Hieronymus Merkin, alongside his second wife in real life, Joan Collins, the British film actress, and their two real-life children. And in spite of the fact that this film had some wonderful cameo roles from actors such as Stubby Kay and Bruce Forsyth, it was a complete and utter failure. And I suppose you can almost predict that that would be the case with the title as it had. One of the interesting facts, though, about this is that um, Anthony Newley worked with a different lyricist on this. It was Herbert Kretzmer, who, of course, is famous for the English lyrics for the long-running Les Miserables. Anthony Newley then went on back with Leslie Brickers to write the music for the 1971 film of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And this was an adaptation of Roald Dahl's children's story, children's novel, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, that he had written in 1964. And interestingly, Roald Dahl was involved as the screenplay writer for the film. But after a while, he completely distanced himself from this and, in fact, disowned the film. Uh, the film starred Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka and had some wonderful songs by Brickus and Newley, including 
uh, Pure Imagination and The Candyman, which became a number one hit single for Sammy Davis Jr. The film won, uh, was nominated sorry, for an Academy Award for Best Original Score, but didn't actually win. So, Anthony Newley has been involved in other musicals. He composed a musical called Mr Quilp, based on Dickens's Old Curiosity Shop in 1975. And he starred in the now famous 1985 TV adaptation of Alice in Wonderland. This was uh, directed by Erwin Allen, who was famous for producing and directing disaster films, including The Poseidon Adventure from 1972 and Towering Inferno in 1974. Uh, this time, he uh, directed the two-part TV adaptation of Alice in Wonderland. And I have to say that it had the most incredible cast, including Donald O'Connor, Carol Channing, Shelley Winters, Sammy Davis Jr., Patrick Duffy, Tally Savalas, Ringo Starr, Roddy McDowell, Scott Bio. What, and these are just a few of the people, but what an incredible cast this uh, show had. And Anthony Newley starred as the Mad Hatter. One of the last stage shows that Anthony Newley performed in was Scrooge. This had started out as a 1970 film with music, books and lyrics by his collaborator, Leslie Brickus. Um, Anthony Newley wasn't involved in the songwriting this time. But when this, the film was adapted for stage and opened in Birmingham in November 1992, Anthony Newley led the cast as Ebenezer Scrooge and the show went on to run in Plymouth, and then finally at the Dominion Theatre in the West End. And Anthony Newley's whole life was based around music. Even in his later years, he was working on a new musical based on Shakespeare's Richard III. So definitely worth mentioning as a musical theatre star and a musical theatre legend, Anthony Newley. One of my favourite musical recordings is the original cast recording of the 1994 Napoleon the Musical, which was premiered in Toronto in March of 1994. Music by Timothy Williams and lyrics by Andrew Sabiston. And they'd been working on the show actually since 1982. They wrote the book as well. And this is, quote, a spectacular tale of ambition alongside one of the world's most passionate, tempestuous and ultimately heartbreaking love stories. And of course, it tells the story of Napoleon Bonaparte and Josephine. In this original production, um, Napoleon was played by the amazing Jerome Pradon and Aline Mowat performed as Josephine. And in fact, this recording wasn't released until 2009 
to mark the 15th anniversary of the show. Um, and it was released by Stage Door Records. There is actually another um, CD available, which was released in 2001 with the original London cast recording. So the show opened in the West End at the Shaftesbury Theatre in 2000 and ran for six months. And uh, it has orchestrations by the incredible Jonathan Tunick. The cast had Paul Baker as Napoleon, Anastasia Barzi as Josephine, along with Jodie Crozier and Sarah Ingram. And there was a five-track CD released called Highlights from Napoleon the, the Musical. And uh, I'm really pleased. I have this, and actually I love this recording. So Napoleon the Musical, definitely worth listening to. There has been actually a new version, an updated version, in July 2015, performed at the New York Musical Theatre Festival. I'm hoping there'll be future productions of Napoleon. In 1997, we had the original French concept album for the new musical Notre Dame de Paris. And this is the tragic and heartbreaking story of outcast Quasimodo based on the Victor Hugo novel, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And this version was far grittier and overtly sexual than the 1996 Disney film, of course. Um, music by Richard Cocciante, lyrics by Luc Plamondon, and English lyrics by Will Jennings. And this started as a concept album then debuting in Paris in September 1998, followed by productions all around the world, and it has become a really popular show to produce. And in um, 2000, we saw the original London cast production, which had a fabulous cast, actually many of them from the original Paris cast. So we had Luc Merville as Clopin, Danielle Lavoie as Frollo, Bruno Pelletier as Gringoire, Garou as Quasimodo, with Tina Arena performing as Esmeralda, and Steve Balsamo as Phoebus, a brilliant cast recording which you can uh, listen to at your pleasure. So check it out, Notre Dame de Paris. So we've come to the last part of my podcast where I stop and think who've we missed out beginning with the letter N and we haven't talked about Ivan Novello the hugely popular Welsh entertainer who had success both as a composer and an actor and he's famous for musicals such as Perchance to Dream and King's Rhapsody, and Gaze the Word from 1951. We haven't talked about Tony Award-winning actress B.B. Newarth, who starred on Broadway in Sweet Charity, and famously as Velma Kelly in the revival of Chicago. We haven't talked about actor Gene Nelson, 
who starred in the film musicals of Tea for Two, Lullaby of Broadway, and he was in Oklahoma as Will Parker. We haven't talked about actress Kim Novak, who was dubbed by Trudy Irwin in the film adaptation of Pal Joey. And we've not talked about Nymph Arendt, the 1933 West End musical by Cole Porter. Music and lyrics both by Cole Porter, which was a controversial story really about a girl who was determined to lose her virginity. Uh, so it never actually made it to Broadway, that show, but it did have the fabulous Gertrude Lawrence in the original West End production of 1933. And of course, Cole Porter also had two films made about him, one of them beginning with the letter N, Night and Day, in 1946, a biopic with Cary Grant as um, Cole Porter. And of course, this film was almost entirely made up. This wasn't the real story of Cole Porter, but it does touch on the famous musicals that we know Cole Porter created, including Anything Goes, Can Can, High Society, Silk Stockings, and the fabulous Kiss Me Kate. And incidentally, there was another film pick of his life called De Lovely in 2004, this time with Kevin Klein as Cole Porter. And finally, we haven't talked about The New Moon, music by Sigmund Rongberg and lyrics and book by Oscar Hammerstein II. This opened on Broadway in September 1928 and ran for 519 performances. So there we go, the letter N, lots again, wonderful to be able to share it with you. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Until next time, have a Doris Day.